Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter number 18. I want to speak to you this morning about a faithful father. And that's something that all of us ought to be concerned about. It's especially something that all of our fathers need to be concerned about. And here we see a God's example of just that, a faithful father. Chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. I want you to suppose that you are... God, and this is your world. <laughs> some, of the, some of the wives probably would tell me you already think that, but, uh, but you get the point. Let's just suppose that, that each one of us, that we're God, this is our world. It all belongs to us. We are in charge, and we have the power and the right to do whatever, whatever we want to do. Now... Suppose you're going to choose just one man that will represent you, one man with whom you will build a great and a mighty nation so as to bless all of the other nations of the earth. What qualities would you look for in that man? Who would you select as a, as a model for men? You know, we might think, well, he has to have a really high IQ or he has, has to have a charismatic personality or he has to have a good education or, you know, any number of things that we might look at and uh, characteristics that we might choose from. Well, our text tells us what God looked for and who God chose. God chose Abraham. Now, this statement that we've just read here was actually made after he chose Abraham. That took place in Genesis chapter number, the last part of chapter 11 and chapter number 12. But this reveals what God knew about him beforehand. And the point is that God knew that here was a man that would provide the spiritual guidance that his family needed that was crucial then, and it's also crucial today. I say that because family units form the building blocks of society. Society will never be any better than the families from which it is made. And if the families are weak, the nation is going to be weak. And here we see in this story a reminder of the fact that families need faithful fathers, and it teaches us several important lessons. First of all, it's very clear from what I've just read 
that fathers determine the future. Someone said, a boy loves his mother, but he follows his father. As a general rule, that's true. No, we know that's not absolute. We know there are instances where mothers have a greater influence upon the, upon the boy than the father does. But as a general rule, the boys, they really love mom, but, you know, it's dad that they tend to pattern their life after. And that being true, then we need to be careful about where we're leading our children. Dr. Tell Forrest made this statement. He said, when fathers do not take leadership roles, boys so often are overcome with femininity and take on an exaggerated masculine behavior to conceal it. Well, I think he's right. And I'm not going to talk about those extremes, but there are extremes in both directions there, the femininity or the masculinity, whatever it is. So, you know, that that can lead to a lot of problems in two different directions, but the root of the problem is exactly the same, and that is the lack of a godly male role model in the child's life. So in a very real sense, we can say that our future as a nation, the future of this church, the future of society is in the hands of fathers. And boy, whenever you look around, that's a scary thought. When I say look around, I'm not talking about you. We've got some great fathers here, no doubt. But I'm talking about in society We live in the day of the delinquent dad. We live in a day where where there's a dad deficit. We live in a day where where so many people are producing children without ever raising children. We live in a day where so many people that have fathered children never assumed the responsibility of raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then we wonder why they turn out like they do. There's a very good reason for that, and the Bible's very clear. And so God wants to, wants to begin a nation. Now remember, this nation did not exist before. The nation of Israel came out of the loins of Abraham, but God wanted a nation that He could set among all of the other nations, and from that nation, all of the nations could be blessed, and out of that nation came the Savior of the world. And so God chose a man by the name of Abraham, because he knew this is where the future rested. So we see fathers determine the future, but we see another important lesson If you know anything about Abraham, you know that he wasn't perfect. And we learn from this that failure isn't final. Abraham wasn't perfect. He had faults just like we all do. In fact, he he did some really stupid things. He made some big mistakes in his life. The point is that even though he made those mistakes, he recovered from them. If you want to really tell about a character of a person, it's not whether they fall or not, because we all fall and we all fail sooner or later in some way, but do we get back up? 
do we learn from our mistakes? You see, you can't change the past. Whatever you've done, I mean, the past is the past. You can't change it. There's not anything you can do about that now except learn from it, benefit from it, and do better in the future. And that's exactly what we see with Abraham. He didn't continually live the life of a failure. And just because you have failed as a father does not mean that you've got to spend the rest of your life making the same mistakes, doing the same thing over and over. It might be that you've lost the respect of your family because of your failure, and you don't know what to do. Well, I'll tell you what to do. You just start living for God and set a good example for them. You say, yeah, but they might not forgive me. Then that's their problem. You know, let me tell you, let me speak to everybody else here other than the fathers. Cut them some slack. You know, it would be wonderful if they were perfect, but they're not. They're going to make some mistakes. Somebody says, oh, well, I turned out bad because of my father's influence. Well, it might have had something to do with it, but you, listen, when you stand before God, you can't blame your father for the choices that you made. You've got to answer for the decisions that you make in life. And if you fail, you can't blame dad, you can't blame mom, you can't blame anyone else. It's a choice that you made. And you're solely responsible for that. Your dad is not ever going to be perfect in this life. It's not fair for you to impose a demand on him that you're not able to, to keep yourself. Being a father is a lot tougher job than, than most young people realize. It doesn't excuse their failure, but we need to understand that failure does not have to be Final. Not only that, when we look at this story, we see that following God can be a very frightening thing. You know, we talk a lot about God's way is always right, God's way is always best, God's way is always safest, and, and that's right. You can't ever go wrong going God's way. That's the right way. But it's not always the easy way. It can be very frightening. And the Bible gives us two examples of this pertaining to, to Abraham. The first one is back in chapter number 12, and we're not going to turn there. And the second one is in Genesis chapter number 22. Both of these, by the way, are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. The first one had to do with him leaving home. God said, I want you to get up out of your country. I want you to leave, get get your your wife, and I want you to just... Leave town. Leave everything behind. Can you imagine Abraham coming in that day saying to Sarah, Sweetie, I've been talking to God, and God, uh, God has let me know in no uncertain terms that, uh, that we're going to move. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, you've got to give Sarah a lot of credit. And so she gets to thinking, oh, we're going to finally get over on the right side of the tracks and get a better house. And, you know, I finally, you know, maybe that's what he's talking about. No. And so she says, where, where are we going to move? And, and he says, I don't know. You don't know? No, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, why would we move if we don't know where we're moving? God told me to, 
leave town and go into a country that he would show me. Now, you talk about faith. It takes a lot of faith to cut off all of your ties from family and friends and to pack your bags and leave town. Just start down the road when you don't know where you're going. But that's exactly what's going on here. And notice, God does not tell him to take the course of least resistance. He doesn't tell him, I want you to go look for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So Abraham had a tough decision to make. What am I going to do now? And he made the right decision. He looked for a country whose builder and maker was God. That's test number one. Test number two came in chapter 22, where where God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and offer him up. Wow. You know, I've often said there's some things in the Bible I don't understand. Now, I believe it's all right. And, And I want to try to follow it as closely as I possibly can. But there's some things in the Bible I don't understand. I'll bet you don't either. There's some things that God tells me to do, and my natural mind, my reasoning, and everybody else tells me I ought to do just the opposite of that, but but I can't because I know what the Bible says about that. And uh, and I've got to tell you, Abraham must have felt that way whenever the Lord said, Now remember, remember, God had told him, I'm going to give you a son. Well, they were too old to bear children, you know, and so Sarah is laughing about that to start with, as you might had you been in her sandals. This, this uh, 90 years old, I, I can't have children. God said, oh, I'm going to give you a son. Well, they made a mistake, but finally God gave them the son that he had promised. His name was Isaac. And now God says, I want you to take your son and offer him up as a sacrifice. And so Abraham and Isaac go together. And this wonderful picture is recorded there in the 22nd chapter. And they go together, and you know the story. And and I can just try to imagine what must have been in Isaac's mind, because he knows his daddy loves him. But his daddy builds that altar and lays him on that altar and raises that knife to plunge into into his body and take his life. And it was right up there to that point before God stopped him. Boy, I tell you, you've got a mean business with God to be willing to do something like that. And God did this in order to prove him. He was putting him to the test. And I'm telling you, when we decide that we're going to live for God, we have to make some tough decisions. It's obvious that God's way cannot be determined by what is the most fun or the most easy. I'll never forget going back to work after I had... Trusted Christ as my Savior. Go back to work and to go in there and tell the, my buddies that I'm not going to stop at the bar with you today. In fact, I'm never going back to the bars with you again. I'm through with that. 
And they literally thought I'd lost my mind or something. I mean, they, they didn't understand that. And I explained to them yesterday, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to, I'm going to stop drinking and start living right. And I'm going to be in church on Sunday and on and on and on. Let me tell you something. It's not easy to go in there and to face that old crowd and to tell them that I've become a Christian and my life's going to be different now. And any time you set out to follow the Lord, let me tell you, you might as well get ready for a test because following the Lord isn't going to always be fun and games and easy. In fact, Jesus said, a man's enemy shall be they of his own household. There'll be those in your own family that will set themselves against you. They'll resist everything that you want to do for God. They'll think that you're some kind of a wild-eyed fanatic if you want to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night both. Why, you've lost your mind. Did, did, did they brainwash you down there? That must be some kind of a cult. Who goes to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and and Wednesday night? Let me tell you, there are folks that are not going to understand the decisions that you make and the things you do when you get serious about serving God. And we need to understand that life is not always going to be easy. It's going to be tough. But then there's another lesson that we learn, and that is that faithfulness isn't futile. Let me ask you a question. How do you measure success? I want you to think about that. How do you measure success? Is it somebody, you know, that ends up, they get a real high-paying job, somebody that gains a lot of popularity? I mean, how do you measure success? Well, I'll tell you how God measures success. He measures it by faithfulness. This is why He chose Abraham, because He knew that Abraham would be faithful. And that's what God demands from all of us. The Bible says, moreover, brethren, it's required in church that a man be found faithful. You see, faithfulness requires different things of different people. We're not in competition with someone else. We don't have to outdo them. We don't have to achieve a certain status in society to be successful. All we have to do is to be faithful with God and, and that's why God does not expect the same thing out of you that He expects out of somebody else. The little old lady out there in the nursing home, she can't get out and do the things that you can, but she can be faithful where she's at. And you can be faithful where you are, and that's all that God requires from you to be faithful. And God has promised to bless our faithfulness. It's not a waste of time Whenever you live a life of faithfulness unto the Lord. Well, if faithfulness isn't futile, then faith isn't foolish. We look at Abraham's faith and we could talk about it for the next two hours, but I want to try to just sum up some thoughts. First of all, it's revealed by his manner of life. Now, now keep in mind that Isaac is observing all of this. Isaac saw that Abraham's faithfulness to God was more important to him than anything else. 
And your children need to see that in you. And the question is, what are they seeing? Whenever they think about their daddy, can they say that I'll tell you one thing, I don't agree with my daddy about a lot of things, but my daddy believes that being faithful to God is more important than anything. Our children are watching And our children are going to make some determinations in life based on what they see in us. And we better make sure that we're sending them the right message. I want my children to understand that serving God is more important to me than anything. I want them to understand what my priorities are. They all know I'm not perfect. They live with me too long to know that I'm perfect. But I want them to understand what my priorities are. That serving God is number one, loving their mother is number two, even ahead of them. I love my children, but I don't love any of my children as much as I love their mother. They come one notch down on the totem pole. And I want them to understand that. And I'll bet you if you ask them, they'd tell you, yeah, dad loves mom more than he loves us. Of course, they'll never figure out which one of them I love the most. (laughs) It's like somebody asked that mother which one of her kids she loved the most, and she said the one that that has the most urgent need. You know, that's the one I love most at the time. Boy, I wish I could look back and say, wow, I don't have any blots on my record. I haven't made any mistakes. I've been the perfect role model for my children. I wish I could say that, and I can't say that. But we ought to be striving for that. And let me tell you, living a life of faith is not foolish, and we see it revealed by Abraham's manner of life. You know, he could have stayed back there in his hometown, and he could have written songs about his encounter with God, and he could have worshipped Jehovah God, and he could have he could have studied about God and all of those things. But he, if he had never left, if he had never acted in obedience, there would have never been any evidence that he was serious about God. And all of that is revealed. His faith is revealed. Let me tell you, your faith is revealed by your actions. Talking about how much faith you have in God doesn't mean anything if you can't back it up by the way that you live. It was revealed, not only revealed, but it was recorded. You know, all of that could have happened without you and I knowing anything about it. Abraham could have been a faithful man, but God chose to record this. Why would he do that? Well, he tells us in the book of Romans, all of those things that were written aforetime, in other words, all of those things recorded there in the Old Testament, were all written for our learning and admonition, that we might have hope in God, you see. So this is for us. God recorded this for us because he wants us to get the message of what it means to be a faithful father. And then we see that that this faith is something that is required of God. Remember, whenever Jesus came, the Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not, talking about the Jewish people. And as he conversed with them, 
you know, they should have been thrilled because all of these these centuries, they've been looking for the Messiah. Finally, the Messiah is there, and he's standing right before them, and he's speaking. And they said, never a man spake as this man. Boy, we have never seen anything like this. But they rejected him. They followed him around as a miracle worker wanting to be entertained, but they rejected him. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they said, oh, we've never been in bondage to any man. They said, we're the children of Abraham. And he said, in John chapter 8, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. He's simply saying, in other words, if you were really... Abraham's children in the spiritual sense and had a relationship with God, you would do what Abraham did. And they were doing just the opposite. You see, our faith in God is revealed by what we do, but it's required by God that we trust Him. And it's always rewarded. Always. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Then in the book of Galatians, Paul tells us there, you know, the law of sowing and reaping, that you reap what you sow. And he tells us there in no uncertain terms that we shall reap when? Due season, if what? If we faint not. If we don't give up, if we don't quit, if we don't throw in the towel, if we don't get discouraged and quit on God in due season, we will, we will reap. And Abraham reaped the benefits of a life of faith. You know, I could stand for the next hour talking about being a good father and all of the things that we need to do. And, and never say anything new or anything you didn't already know. You see, your problem's the same as with me and with nearly all of us, and that is that, that basically we know what we ought to do, right? We know. We just don't do it. But we know what we ought to do, but we just don't do it. And more than information, what we really need is a right relation. A relation with God. And let me tell you, folks, that's possible only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, that takes this message about Abraham, this message about fathers, it takes it far beyond fathers, and it speaks to the needs of every person. Because the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. You will never become the person God wants you to be until you have a right relationship with Him. And the only way for that to ever be possible is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. In just a few minutes, we'll be baptizing some folks. Four, I think. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. But baptism's not going to get them into heaven. 
After they're baptized, they'll become members of this church, but this church isn't going to get them into heaven. After they become members of this church, they'll be known as Baptists, but being a Baptist isn't going to get you into heaven. The only thing that will get you in heaven is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross. And you see, whenever we trust Christ as our Savior, number one, trust in Christ will take away our sins. I said a while ago, we can't change the past. Boy, I wish I could go back and change the past. Bev and I was talking the other day about some things from the past, and I I was talking about having, well, I was just talking about the past. I was to leave it there. I wish I could go back and apologize to some people that I hurt. I really do, but I can't change that. It's over. It's done. And there's not any way I can change that. But the wonderful thing is that even though I did some horrible things, through trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all of my sins have been taken away. Other people might not forgive me, and I wouldn't blame them. But the one that matters most forgave me, and that's God. Trust will take away your sins. Trust will... It'll, it'll tame your fears. You know, it's real easy to say, well, I'm not afraid of going to hell. I have a lot of friends there. No, you don't have any friends there. Not a one. There's nobody in hell wants you to come. Nobody ever wants to see you there. You might talk big now, but boy, let me tell you, whenever you're on the deathbed and the doctor says... You know, we've done the surgery, we've tried the chemo, we've tried everything else, and there's nothing more than we can do. And you're facing an eternity without Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you've got a lick of sense in your head, there'll be fear in your heart. To think about going into a Christless eternity, but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will tame all of those fears. It will thrill your heart. It will literally transform your life. You, you see, I'm not only going to heaven when I die. I've become a different person while I'm living. Like the songwriter said, you know, I'm not the man that I used to be. Like the Bible says, we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, trust in the Lord is the thing that will literally eventually transport you to heaven. It's the only way to get there. Think about what God is offering in the person of His Son, a hope that goes beyond the grave, life for all of eternity, the forgiveness of sins. You see, if God didn't do anything for us while we're here on this earth, if all God ever did was save our soul and take us to heaven... Why, it would all be worth it. But He has done so much for us here and now, and we can live every day of our life knowing because of what Jesus did, the best is yet to come. It's just right around the corner. The best is yet to come. And thank God one of these days 
when the Lord calls us home and we'll stand in His very presence and then fall down at His feet and worship and praise Him forever and forever. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know you would go to heaven if you died today? Do you have the kind of hope that Abraham did? The kind that will motivate you to pursue the will of God throughout this life and to look forward to the life to come. If you don't, you can. And I hope you will. We're going to sing a verse of invitation and invite you to come and to hear this morning to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those awaiting baptism, if you will, if you'll come. The ones that presented themselves last week, if you'll go straight to the dressing room. And the other two, if you'll come up here, please. While we stand and as musicians come and we sing this morning, if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, Brother Kenneth is here and I'm here or whoever, if you need help. But let me tell you, let me tell you, you really don't need any help because all you need to do is to put your trust in the shed blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and He promised He would save you. And if you, if you would do that this morning, would you come and look me in the eye and say, Brother Stone, I'm trusting Christ as my Lord and my Savior today. Would you come and let us know while we sing together? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back last last week we had some young people that had gone off to church camp and they trusted Christ as their Savior, and we'll be baptizing a couple of them here in just a little bit. But then, sort of after the fact, but there, and we try to, try to always be sure that the, that the children understand what they're doing. And so, uh, April or Russell, one called Brother Dennis, uh, Bethany's grandpa, and he come over, and, and they had a long talk this week, and Bethany has it settled in her heart that she's saved and today she wants to follow the Lord as her Savior. And then this is Tyler Guerrero and uh, he what? Yeah, I know it. That's what, that's what we're doing right here. And so Tyler trusted Christ as his Savior this week and Brother Kenneth and I, we, uh, we were talking about it, and you know, you always want to make sure that they understand. And so Brother Kenneth was telling me a while ago, I was talking to Tyler beforehand, making sure that he realized that baptism's not what, he, what saves him. And so Brother Kenneth asked him if he understood what baptism was about. He said, it is a resemblance of me being you can't say it any better than that you can be a theologian you can't say it any better than that it is a picture showing outwardly what happened inwardly and he understands that so 
So this is Tyler and Bethany. All of those in favor of receiving them, let it be known with that lift hand, all the post like sign. Everybody else can be seated, and you two go on up to the dressing room, if you would, please. And uh, Tim, lead, lead us in some more singing while I go up and prepare for the, for the baptism. Three hundred and six. Grab a hymnal just under the seat in front of you or around you or behind you. Turn to page 306. 306. Jesus save. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus on the third. Sing above the battle strife. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. By his death and endless life, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom, whether the heart for mercy craves. Sing in triumph for the tomb. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. The winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Amen. Speaking about that victory, we're going to turn to 473, page 473. We're going to sing about that victory right now. Victory in Jesus. Amen. (laughs) I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save us. Amen. Amen. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory. Cleansing 
Well, amen. I tell you what, I'm not even going to give you a page number. I know you know it, so just sing out and clap your hands. Amen. I'll fly away. Some glad morning when the sun is old, I fly away. Amen. To a home on God's celestial shore. stay around. They'll be out here in just a little bit. They're trying to get them dried off and and uh, I'm trying to get a breath of air. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's just some things that's better than better than eating and uh, boy, I love to eat. Boy, Bab's got, she's got me something really good cooked up and everything and I get home and I I'm going to dig into that but this is manna from heaven and oh, yeah. And it's just, uh, you just can't beat that. So, all right, let's stand together. We're going to have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. And then, uh, as I said, I hope that you can uh, hang around. Kenneth, come on up here and lead us in prayer, please. Let us pray. Father, we come to you again today. We're just rejoicing, dear God, rejoicing in your goodness, rejoicing because you're so mighty to save, dear God. You're still saving today. And I want to thank you for the precious, everlasting life in your son, Jesus Christ, dear God. And, and for those that have trusted you and have has shown that and expressed that in baptism today, Lord. And Father, for those that have trusted you that are here, may we go out into this world, dear Father, and may we tell of your son. May we live 
our Christianity out in the lives of others, Lord, that those would be saved. I thank you for those that are here today that do not know you as Savior, that have heard your truth today, dear Father, that you wouldn't leave their hearts alone until they surrender to the salvation that saves their soul and takes them to heaven with the forgiveness of sins, dear God. Thank you for your blessed salvation. Thank you for this glorious opportunity to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.